All right, so today on the Sound Iron Podcast, we are going to be covering Google's Music LM update, our favorite scores with female vocals, Ed Sheeran's legal troubles, and dozing for creativity. Craig, are you ready? Oh, you had me at legal troubles. I thought you were going to say <laughs> had me at do- dozing for creativity. So no, no, I, you know those legal troubles, man, they will get you. So Mr. Sheeran has been in a lawsuit with uh, the Marvin Gaye corporation uh, and yeah. uh so marvin gay wrote a very popular song called let's get it on and uh ed you might sheeran, have heard of it you might have heard of it ed sheeran wrote a very popular song called uh thinking out loud and they both have similar bpm they both use similar chord structure and uh n- not really similar topics but i mean it's about love so this this lawsuit sued ed sheeran trying to get a piece of the pie you understand mm-hmm uh, the accusation was made by the heirs of Ed Townsend, who was a co-writer of Let's Get It On, who argued that the fact that Sheeran had performed a mashup of the two songs on stage was a confession of plagiarism. So he probably shouldn't have done that. That was a bad idea. But yeah. Sheeran got like uh, an incredible lawyer, as you might imagine. And he countered that despite the fact that the two songs share a similar chord progression and rhythm, the star was simply using basic musical building blocks that songwriters now and forever must be free to use. So Ed Sheeran won this lawsuit. He does not have to give any like credit or uh, money or anything like that to uh, the, the, uh, the suitors. So Ed Sheeran said he was obviously very happy with the ruling. He had claimed he would give up his music career if he'd been found guilty. I saw that. And he now says, it looks like I'm not going to have to retire from my day job after all. But he said it with a British accent, so it's cuter. <laughs> uh, so but, cute. but it is interesting. You can't copyright a chord progression, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's like you think like one, like how many songs have been done in like a one, four, five kind of thing. It's like, yeah. You can assume music theory, you know? Yeah, and you watch you watch those videos that are, is like 200 pop songs with four All chords. All done with, exactly. It's yeah. just, yeah, like, so if that was the case, people would spend more time trying to do lawsuits than they would be making music. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, everyone would just be so happy. It says, these chords are common building blocks which were used to create music long before Let's Get It On was written and will be used to make music long after we're all gone. They're in a songwriter's alphabet, our toolkit, and should be there for all of us to use. No one owns them or the way they're played in the same way that no one owns the color blue. Sheeran also said that if the jury had decided this matter the other way, we might as well say goodbye to the creative freedom of songwriters. So that's the exact thing that you were saying. is like, if we start copywriting and trademarking chord progressions, then uh, everyone's just going to be in court all the time and no one's going to be making music. Yeah, that'd be like, uh, you know, Flight of the Bumblebee. Like, it's a bunch of chromatic notes. I'm going to sue everybody because everyone's borrowing notes from yeah. this. Everyone's using my pitches. Yep, yep. Everyone used these pitches and everyone's going to get sued. They're all <laughs> going to feel the wrath. So, speaking of copyright, in January, Google released a music LM, which was an artificial intelligence music uh, generator, kind Mm -hmm. of like stable diffusion or mid journey, but it's for music. So you give it a prompt and it will create an AI music track for you. And they gave us an update on it. So I just joined the wait list. I am still a peasant, so I didn't, uh, I haven't gotten in yet, but they've, (laughs) they've opened it to the public. Uh, You can sign up for the wait list in Google's AI test kitchen. That's what they call it. And um, 
So Music LM can generate sounds, musical ideas, and even entire tracks on demand while responding to a variety of detailed stipulations. And the AI understands prompts relating to genre, mood, and type of instrument. So it says it wants a very specific and detailed prompt. So the more uh, information you can feed it, the better music it will give you. Uh, so when you when you prompt it, it will generate two clips of audio in response, and then you can pick which one you prefer to help train the AI. So once I get off the wait list, I will use it and uh, let you know how it is. But I did watch a couple people who are more privileged than me use it. And uh, he was like, is it going to win a trophy? No. But is it going to work for like the background of a commercial? Absolutely. Uh oh. And so that's the <laughs> ramifications we're dealing with here. Not exactly sure what we're gonna what we're gonna get from here, but there is gonna be a lot of new generations of stuff. So you see people generating like ambient, soft sounding music I can study too. And it'll take a second and then it'll give you two tracks. So we will keep an eye on that. But in the meantime, while we are not using AI generative music, we can talk about the latest news from MIT. And they say that moment when you're nodding off is a sweet spot for creativity. It says a new study finds that people are more creative after waking up from the earliest stage of sleep, especially when they're guided to dream about a particular topic. And uh, so they said feeling stuck on a problem that seems unsolvable. You may come up with a creative solution after a short nap. So they want you to sleep for between 15 and 45 minutes and then wake up and hopefully you've been thinking about the problem when you went to sleep and when you wake up you should potentially have a solution i don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that uh I, i've definitely had ideas on the verge of falling asleep or let's say you're working on music earlier in the day and you're like all right i'm gonna go to sleep now and then you're laying down like you're not you know you're, you're winding down so you're not really thinking about stuff too much and all of a sudden like oh like a little idea will just like randomly pop in your head right and then you start kind of working it out and then well, if you're like me they're like I, I can't sleep anymore and then <laughs> you run over and you start trying to you know jot it down or or tab it out like i like when i was working on music for the band i used to play in years back when i was like heavily into the writing process yeah i would just always be getting hit with random ideas because i really i really feel like you know, like we talked about this on a previous podcast with uh, Jameson talking about, you know, flexing that creative muscle. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think when you're in that groove of constantly thinking about writing, you're more than likely going to get more ideas that just pop in than before because you're you're always sort of thinking about that. Yeah, uh, I was reading an interview with Howard Shore and he said that since like 1956, he's written music by hand every single day. And he was like, if I, if I don't write a few notes down, I feel like the day is wasted and he's done that every single day for like what 70 years or something. Yeah. It's yeah. It's crazy when, when you do do that more often that yeah, ideas just tend to flow more. I, I feel when you, when I don't, it's almost kind of like getting back into the gym. Like, you know what you have to do or what's needed to, to go through that process. Yeah. But there's that little bit of uh rest and the creative flow isn't always necessarily there but yeah it's like the more you do it the easier i think it it tends to come i don't know if i've ever had the taking a nap and then like coming back i've definitely had those days where you're trying to work on something 
because you're like, all right, got to sit down, get this done. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you just feel like you suck and you just need to just quit. <laughs> like I've had those days where I got like really down on myself, like, man, like you just don't have it. And then the next day, you know, you take a break and you're like, let me try it again. And then all of a sudden it just kind of comes. Sometimes the magic doesn't always come when you when you want it. That's true. I mean, we talk about fresh ears on this podcast as well. And that is a big thing. And I mean, your brain needs a rest. Ears need a rest. And then when you come back, a lot of the times the next day, if you come back, things just click into place a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've had those times. I don't know if you've had those times where like you're working on something and you're, you're getting like halfway through whatever you're working on and then you just scrap the entire thing. You're just like, no. Yeah. It's usually pretty early if I have to start over. Uh, typically I'll just force something into being, but, uh, yeah. In the first 30 minutes, if it's uh, a disaster, then I'll bail. Yeah. Cause sometimes it doesn't always feel like a disaster, but it just doesn't feel right. And then you think, okay, well, if I keep working on it, maybe some other little idea will pop up and then I'll just go from there or whatever. But there's times yeah. where I'm just like, this is, it felt like a cool idea at first. And then as time goes on, you're just like, you know what? Actually, this isn't what I was originally wanting to go for. Right. And then just trash it. Threw it on the ground. Yeah. Uh, this <laughs> says, Thomas Edison, among others, often took advantage of this napping state. When struggling with a thorny problem, he would sit down for a nap while holding a metal ball in his hand. Just as he fell asleep, the ball would fall out of his hand and wake him up. And when he woke, he often had a new solution in mind. So I guess there's only one option for us, and that is to test the hypothesis. I got to go buy me some metal balls now. <laughs> big brass balls. <laughs> yeah, big big old brass balls. Yeah, uh, Einstein uh, was known for doing that too. Like he would take a bunch of naps, right? Like throughout yeah, the day. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, you know, word on the street, he's a pretty smart guy. But just because you take naps doesn't mean that you're going to be smart. So everyone <laughs> listening is just like, it's all you got to do is just sleep. I mean, if that was the case, I'd, I'd be down. I'd just be sleeping all day, but can't do that. Right. So they MIT threw some money at this, and they made this device called a Dormio that you wear like a glove, and it has an app, and it wakes you up. And uh, so they have 49 participants in four groups. They each got 45 minutes to nap, and the Dormio device prompted them to dream about a tree and then recorded their description of their dreams so they woke the person woke the person up and said tell us a story about a tree or tell us what you dreamed about a tree and uh some people remained awake some people slept and the people who slept came up with a much more interesting and creative story and had more interesting dreams having a dream where you get buried in the dirt and then you grow out of the ground and you are the tree imagine imagine that that is very creative did you That'd just fall pretty, asleep? I think I, I might have was talking. I'm sorry. I think you might have put me to sleep. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, you get the idea from MIT. Like, maybe, maybe not. But taking a nap could be a good option if you're stuck. Yeah. Naps are always good. A lot of people do walks or they take showers to get ideas. But, you know, taking a nap is pretty nice. I know. It's much, uh, much more convenient than a walk. That is very true. You just don't get as many steps in, but that's all good. Yeah. Okay. So I just started recording a solo vocal library. Uh, technically, 
my wife started recording it, but I am pressing buttons on it. And uh, that made me start pulling up scores that involve female vocals. Mm. And uh, so I wanted to ask you what some of your favorite scores with solo female vocals are. And uh, I thought we'd go back and forth with some scores that we like. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely have a few in a few different types of genres. Uh, one of my favorite scores is the, the I'm sure I've probably talked about this on the podcast, but uh, A Cure for Wellness by Benjamin Wallfish. That score features female solo vocals. But the the reason I, I wanted to bring this one up, because it's not like the most beautiful and like super bombastic kind of like vocals or anything like that. I believe he got one of the actresses on the movie. Her name's Mia Goth. She's uh she plays Hannah in the movie. Okay. And I believe he got her to sing the main melody, the do 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 that thing. And it it like the cool thing about it is because obviously she I don't think she's a singer, but you know, she was able to sing it enough to, you know, hit the melody, but it just has this sound to it that almost sounds, you know, because if you've seen the movie, I have not. It's based it's based out of this like mental institution where this guy goes to I think he goes to try to get his boss out or something and gets pretty much like stuck there. Spoiler <laughs> alert, sorry. Um <laughs> but uh, it, it's really cool. It just has this like kind of creepy innocence to it. Like if you were walking through the halls and you saw one of the rooms where there was a patient and they were just kind of like standing up, just like humming a song to themselves or something. That's kind of the vibe you get. Okay. So it's really fitting. Yeah, that's that's definitely a cool one because it's not your what you would normally traditionally think of like a female in a score. Right. But it's really, really unique and, and really fits the music, I think. So is she singing it in the movie? Like is she an actress in the movie or is just yeah she's an actress in the movie I, I i've watched it once a while back pretty uh pretty disturbing movie in parts i can't remember if there was like a scene where she was singing it but it's definitely featured throughout in certain parts of the score like especially in the very beginning of the of the score and uh yeah but i don't remember if she's like necessarily singing it in parts in the movie but so yeah. it sounds like you got to rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, I remember there were some parts where I was watching it and my girlfriend w- woke up in the middle of the night. Like when I was watching, she's like, Oh my God, what are you watching? <laughs> there's like, uh, let's just say there's a scene that involves uh, teeth and a drill. Yikes. So yeah, there you go. Sleep on that. Have a night, uh, have a nightmare taking a nap thinking of that. Just a leisurely trip to the dentist. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever have you ever seen the movie The Dentist? I know you you had a list of old movies that you were going through. You no, should watch. I've never, never heard of that. That's an old old classic. That uh, if if you don't like going to the dentist, you should not watch this movie. I don't know many people who like The Dentist. D- uh, dentist. Oh yeah, good point. Um, well, one of my favorite movie scores with a female vocal is Gladiator. Big surprise. Oh, okay. But uh, I looked up Lisa Gerard, who sang for that score she is a very interesting lady as you might imagine she is australian and uh she actually has a band it's a duo called dead can dance and it's with her music partner brendan perry she uh speaks in tongues and it's called glossolalia nailed it uh nailed it i think nailed it it's an activity (laughs) It's an activity or practice in which people utter words or speech-like sounds 
often thought by believers to be languages unknown to the speaker. Hmm. So it's, it's things that sound like words, but don't mean anything like nonsense syllables. She hmm. also says, I sing in the language of the heart. It's, uh, she has an invented language that I've had for a very long time. I believe I started singing it when I was about 12, roughly around that time. And I believed that I was speaking to God when I sang in that language. Interesting. So I don't know if she was using that for Gladiator, but she does have some nonsense syllables in there. And she has some English as well, I believe, but really captivating voice and just atmospheric, peaceful, Mm -hmm. and uh, just very beautiful. Yeah, that reminds me, it makes me think of Francesca, who, you know, for anyone who knows Francesca Jenko uh, was in our Voices of Gaia series. Mm -hmm. And uh, recently, a few weeks ago, I actually got to see her live performing with uh, Serge Tonkian from Sysmova Down. And it's funny because like uh, during the show, they were talking about how there's just a combination of like death metal singer and then Brian Thorsett from Voices of Rapture is in there. So it's a very powerful operatic voice. And uh, Azam Ali, who also does a lot of uh, cinematic score type stuff, um, you know, for her, you know, or she has used her vocal style for, you know, scores and stuff like that. And Francesca, they were joking about some of these vocals are kind of like gibberish or like kind of made up because mm-hmm. she does a lot of these very sort of expressive, uh, unique. It's like vocal stylings. Yeah, very meditative and kind of it rhythmic and melodic. But um, yeah, it also makes me think of a. The score I was telling you about today, the Dragon Age Origins, that was uh, from Enon Zur. And I remember listening to this score a while back when I actually got to interview him on the, in the studio. I was listening to a bunch of his stuff, and I remember the female vocals in that score was was really cool, very expressive, very like beautiful and emotional. And uh, they also, in that score, I was reading that she sort of came up with this kind of like pseudo elven style vocaling where I think it was a lot of probably just necessarily made up, but having that kind of elven fairy like quality because the score has a kind of fantasy sort of sort of sound. And um, the singer in that is Aubrey Ashburn. Yeah, she I think that was the first time she actually worked with him okay. on, on a on a project. So um, and also Mimi Page, she's also done some stuff with him, too. So Obviously, Mimi Page has a really cool voice. Mm-hmm. And some of the stuff that she's done, even in the Light and Shadow library, uses some of those kind of Elvin-esque sort of vocals. When you think of, you know, like people doing those, uh, I can't remember what it's called, those kind of like cowherd uh, oh, yells yeah. and stuff. Like, hey Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I definitely cannot do that vocal style. But yeah, it's just really cool and, and definitely has that that kind of elven sound. Speaking of elven sounds, one of the best soundtracks in the, the whole world is uh, Lord of the Rings, Howard oh. Shore. And uh, so I was doing some some reading on the creation of the Lord of the Rings music. And this dude, Howard Shore, wrote 13 hours of finished music for that trilogy, which is just absurd amount of music. It's a, it's a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, And it said, in keeping with his operatic vision, Shore used the three scripts and the book itself to write themes even before having film reels to compose to. As a result, he spent nearly four years on the composition. Wow. 
and each recording session with the live orchestra was between four and five weeks long for like per movie. And he wrote 50 light motives for like over 50 light motives, uh, for each, you know, character and, uh, like location. Mm-hmm. So Gondor has its own little, uh, musical idea, but I'm just like, how do you even remember all of them? Like right. over 50 and you just have these tunes. It's like, all right, here's Frodo's theme. Here's Sam's theme. It's like, that's just exhausting. Yeah. Especially being able to find a way to connect them together. Yeah. You think, you know, you don't want to just have like a bunch of different, you know, motifs or whatever in different keys or different rhythms or whatever. Cause then it's like, how do you make them cohesive? Especially if there's a scene where, you know, these two characters are together and you mm-hmm. want to, you know, how do you find a blend way them. to yeah. Yeah, blend them together? Cause sometimes you'll, you know, one person might have their own theme another person might have one and then they might there might be like a love theme for when they're together but i always think it's cool when composers find a way to blend them together so it's like oh okay that makes sense yeah we're using themes in a different way like um uh, the next one that i wanted to talk about was actually god of war okay and he used this singer named ivor i don't i don't don't even want to say her last name paul stotir nailed it I, I yeah nailed it right <laughs> of course and and her her vocal style is very unique very powerful and uh, there's a lot of like haunting melodies and cool sort of like rhythmic breathing and and stuff like that and because um, in the score they wanted to give Atreus's mother who spoiler alert if you haven't played the game she you know she dies <laughs> and they wanted to give his mother uh, who's the character's name's Faye in the score. Uh, a voice so they used her and when you listen to the melodies especially if you play the game like that game is like super cinematic and Mm -hmm. very emotional especially when you play the god of war soundtrack the second to most recent and when you hear that theme and and seeing the stuff on screen super powerful and very very emotional and I, i think she has a really cool voice especially if if you like that more viking style uh, really cool. And um, yeah, and one of the things I like about Barry McCreary and what he's done with that soundtrack was the usage of the different melodies and themes. And I was watching Zach Heidi, who we had on the podcast fairly recently. Mm-hmm. He was doing a breakdown of the different themes and, and melodies from the soundtrack. And he was finding that, you know, for the um, the very like at the very beginning, like those notes would be, you know, like a found sort of like foundation and then the main theme. And then there's like other themes where I think it's Odin's theme in in the most recent God of War, where it's I think it's the main Kratos theme, but it's like flipped differently or it's either Odin's theme or Thor, where it's like played like backwards okay. or inverted from like the main melody of the of the theme. Yeah, like clever stuff that you would never yeah. pay attention to unless you were looking for it. Yeah, or even Atreus's theme. It's like very like seeds from the Kratos theme, which obviously makes sense because, you know, father and son. Nice. You know, st- stuff like that. I think it's really interesting when you can make a unique theme that's based off of a theme that you know. And I think subconsciously will tie things in in a way that doesn't make it feel disjointed or anything like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, so that's another one that's got female vocals in it that's really cool. 
One thing that Howard Shore did that was interesting was he used Renee Fleming and Inya to sing solo vocals on the scores. And they sang in a made-up language that uh, Tolkien created called Sindarin, which is an elven language. And so it's kind of back to that, like made up languages that you're you're not really supposed to understand as a casual viewer, but it makes you feel things anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was interesting. Like Renee Fleming is an operatic soprano and Inya is a more atmospheric meditative vocalist. And so just combining those really cool idea. Yeah, there, that's a tip for you all out there. If you can't write lyrics and you're having a hard time, just make up your own language. That's a good idea. Do yourself, do yourself a favor. I'm just going to start doing that now when I don't know what to say. I'll just be doing a walkthrough like, so I uh, skipped about and starts start scatting. You know? you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finish it off with, you know what I mean? So another one of my favorite scores that I'm going to just breeze past because we've talked about the score a lot, but is Avatar. And oh, uh, oh, you love some Avatar. I love me some Avatar, man. And <laughs> it's a very like native tribal concept that they created their own little language for the Avatar series. And uh, so a similar concept to Lord of the Rings. But uh, the next one is The Witcher 3. And mm. this one was really interesting. They recorded this in Poland. For The Witcher 2, they went like very cinematic, big orchestra, like blockbuster, blow it out. But for The Witcher 3, they wanted to kind of change gears a little bit. And so they went for folk instruments and kind of older style. And mm-hmm. it said, when it became clear that the whole story of The Witcher 3 would be grounded on Slavic mythology, and when Marcin, the composer, and his team knew where the main plot would take place, Marcin decided to invite the members of Percival, which is a uh, folk group, to the project. Percival is a Polish band that plays on reconstructions or replicas of medieval instruments. Not only do they perform their own compositions, but also old Slavic melodies, which is what made them fit very well in the atmosphere everyone had in mind. But the funny thing about this, so they invite these like these uh, folk musicians into the recording studio and they're Mm -hmm. like really excited. They pass them out this sheet music and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't actually read sheet music. Uh, We're all like self-taught except for one of them. And we just play together and we like know these melodies, these like Mm -hmm. old melodies and so the composer had spent all this time like writing Mm -hmm. out every single note and like making sure everything was perfect and the notation software and everything and he was just like oh man how are we gonna do this so he ended up going into the studio and he would be like all right can you and he would like hum something can you play this on the zaz can you play this on the hurdy-gurdy and the group already gelled really well because they've been playing together for years yeah and uh, so that's how they ended up recording the Witcher 3 score was improvisation, like almost entirely improvised. It's just like, it sounds awesome. It's like a very unique score, very uh, interesting instrumentation. And the solo vocals are crazy cool. Yeah, I was going to say he should have went the Ludwig uh, Göransson uh, route and just flew straight there. I mean, because that's cool that he ended up being able to do it that way. Because um, I don't know if you've seen on Disney, there's this uh, Wakanda Forever behind the scenes with the music it's like a, no. I think it's like a three-part episode with Ludwig Göransson, and he's talking about how he was working with all these different artists like you know because di- uh, in uh, where he was recording I think it's like different places in Africa like certain areas have these like different tribes 
Okay. And, you know, that would maybe focus on a certain kind of sound or, or he would fo- uh, work with different, more hip hop artists and, and all that. And even I think the, the main, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember the, the main vocalist that you hear for like when the, the movie starts really powerful vocalist, but he actually went on tour with him and oh, okay. to really get the feel for the style and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I always think it's cool when when people work with artists who focus on a style, kind of like Inar Selvik from Wardruna. Like he's been on like so many anything Viking. He's, yeah, you'll probably see his name on there somewhere. Like uh, the um, we talked about this too. The Don Don of was it Don of Ragnarok, the Assassin's Creed. Uh huh. Um, that one has some really cool female solo vocals on there too. Ari Mason, she has this really really cool vibey sound, and uh, there's this one track called old friends and gentle jailers and it's super moody very dark and really kind of channels that dark you know like kind of primal viking sound nice. but yeah just like super moody and, and she has a, a really unique voice and sings in different styles and I, I believe she studies a lot of different languages and stuff too which comes in handy when you're hired to be the vocalist for different scores and soundtracks and stuff and having all that kind of knowledge but yeah, it, it it makes sense to work with people who immerse themselves in that style, especially if you're not known for that. Right. You know, usually they're composing all these orchestral pieces around it or, you know, or different cues. But I would love to do that. Like, man, if I ever had the opportunity to work with someone like him where they just do that kind of really true primal sound, I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, just great musicians who can do whatever you want. And you're just like, all right, give me something like this. And you give them a bad example and then they perform a great example. Yeah, you tell them, I'm thinking something like this. They're like, this instrument doesn't do that guy. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me show you. But yeah, or just you know, being able to collaborate in that way, whether like someone's just like hitting a drum in a very just like simple and rhythmic way and then you're like oh what if you start building this and kind of orchestrating it with people i i I think that would always yield the best results just because that inspiration and creativity is happening on the spot not like all right i worked on this whole thing it's sounding fantastic now here you do your thing yeah i I think it would be this like a robot yeah yeah i mean because composers a lot of times are working for the most part just solitude in their studio they're just doing their thing but I would think that would be one of the more fun aspects of composing, just being able to collaborate with people and, and do all that. So that's, yeah, that's really cool to hear that they did that for, yeah. Cause the Witcher score is awesome. I used to listen to that a bunch. Yeah. And th- like the Witcher three in particular, it came out in 2015 is my favorite of the scores. Like it's, it's the most interesting to me. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta go revisit those again. So in other news, Apple is bringing Logic Pro to the iPad. I don't know if you've seen this. Probably not because you're not an iPad user. I, I did actually. Okay. So yeah, I think I saw it on Instagram pop up. Someone was like, you know, can composers work? I think it might have been Robert Rodriguez. Cool dude. He's done some reviews for us. Uh, I think he was talking about like, can composers compose, you know, using Logic on an iPad? Yeah. So what do you think about that? Like, do you, th- do you think you could compose mobile? on a mobile device do you know anybody who composes with like an iphone or ipad not that i know of i mean i know people who use their iphone to be like you know like hum a melody into their phone yeah that's that's about as far as composing with my phone that i've ever done um or known of people but i'm i'm sure there are people that do that i remember downloading uh what was it um garageband garageband yeah like they had a a GarageBand app or whatever. I remember I was like messing around with it for a little bit, but 
I mean, I don't really work that way, so it's yeah. No, I know I know exactly what you mean. I mean, number one, we've dumped a ton of money into desktop machines and like hardware, so it's uh, hard to see hard to see us using a tablet. To yeah, get- it's like like you see where I'm sitting, and it's like, uh, <laughs> so do I use uh, this or yeah. my iPhone? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't get to a point where. But it is fun to limit yourself creatively and try to use uh, like the circuit behind me. I really like using the circuit, just like a, a beat machine kind of thing. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, I do. I have seen people successfully use iPhone apps to make cool music. Mm-hmm. So it is possible, but I think it's more electronic music typically and less samples. Yeah, yeah, I've never really done that. I, I could see it being cool if you're able to maybe work out little piano sketch ideas. Like if you have a melody in your head and you could just like program that in and then play around with chords on top just to kind of flush out like a harmonic and melodic structure of something. Yeah. That way you can, you know, or even like, oh, I'm going to, you know, email or Dropbox the the MIDI for this, you know, into my computer. And then you could drag that into your, your DAW and work from there or something. So I could see that being cool just for having a better way of documenting ideas instead of just humming it into your phone like right. a weirdo when you're in the supermarket buying <laughs> some groceries and like what's that guy singing into his phone for <laughs> you know but so I and and also being able to hear it a little bit more fleshed out yeah in a harmonic way instead of just random melodies but you know whatever whatever gets you going yeah, and I I'm think not. I think maybe like an intro to music is good too, like getting getting it in in kids' hands. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah, for kids, I could definitely see that being more more useful or or more commonly used, just because, especially nowadays, man. Like I never had anything like an iPhone when I was five years old, <laughs> and now you just see kids with these like iPads and pacifiers, you know, tablets, and a pacifier, and they're over here sending emails and creating documents and doing business at five <laughs> um speaking of business we just released grit kit and uh, this is an update to an older library but we have a unique drum kit library it is a six-piece uh, jazz drum set and it has a kick two snares and three toms and some cymbals but the trick is we aggressively distorted decayed degraded and destroyed the drums kits with some new samples. And so there are 15 of these affected drum kits included in the library, as well as the acoustic kit. And we put it in a new GUI with a nice mixer and uh, our normal modular template. So it is much more usable and uh, accessible now. And it sounds cool. It's got a lot of uh, interesting like glitch glitch kind of effects, distorted kind of effects. I I did a track that was really fun to make just using the library. Yeah, yeah, your track was really cool. It's funny, it's like we took the jazz, gave it some zazz. You know? Boom. Well, well I is. wasn't I, I didn't do any of the sound design on it, but uh, this is, you know, it's an oldie but a goodie. And this update is a really big one, you know, mm-hmm. especially it, if you're familiar with our David Oliver drum kit or or even like knockout drums, like you, this will look familiar. Like it's got a remapper, it's got all the um, effects and arpeggiation stuff that you would expect, different sound shaping controls. There's also some solo kits. So if you want to just load up a solo kit, there's uh, you said there's n- new ambiences yep. for it, right? So 
Yeah, and then with the mixer and all that, like it's definitely way more upgraded than than what it was before. It was cool before, but it's really cool now and and definitely more more suited for a drum library. But yeah, I really like all the different sound design kits and stuff, especially if you're like wanting some unusual drum sounds that are just, you know, have a different vibe or sound and you know, I mean, you got the the basic jazz kit if you want to do something like that. Yeah. But being able to just load up one of the other sound design kits is definitely inspiring. You can also cycle through the drum kits. So if you play just a standard beat in and you like you like uh, the drum beat, but you don't really like the samples, you can just switch it over to a whole new set of samples with a different NKI preset. And all of a sudden your groove sounds totally different. Yeah. And also in the remapper too, if you go through the remapper presets, you have the different kits there as well. Uh, the, yeah, the cool thing about the solo kits is, yeah, just being able to combine those ambiences together or, you know, or like sub synth and stuff like that. So that way you can have a groove and some melodic on top if you want to do that. Or just use the ambiences separate from, you know, like in its own track and play different stuff on top of the the different mangled drum kits. You can get some some really cool results. Indeed. So with that, we will move to the recommendation section. So my recommendation for the week is Barry on HBO Max. I guess it's going to be just Max soon or something. But anyway, Barry season four. I don't know if you've watched any of Barry, but it is a phenomenal show. I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of uh, heard a lot of good stuff about it. I think they're on like what season four now or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So they're airing season four right now. This is the final season. And uh, Bill Hader went on the Smartless podcast this past week or the week before to talk about the the show, and uh, he was telling stories about working with the Lonely Island on Saturday Night Live. So that took me down memory lane. I was like playing a bunch of uh, Lonely Island videos this week and just laughing. Just took me right back to high school. Yeah, Bill Hader's hilarious, man. And um, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Hot Rod. Yeah, so many times. That's that's one of my favorite movies. That movie's so (laughs) stupid. But it's so good. Like when, like, I think, isn't he like messing around with like a lawnmower and like a piece of metal just like, or like, or he was messing around with something like a piece of metal just like goes shooting in his head. And right. he like doesn't even realize it and he's just walking around all <laughs> out of it. But yeah, that yeah, he's yeah, he's a funny guy. Which which is interesting to see him it's a little bit more kind of like dark comedy sort yeah. of series, right? Yeah, it's very dramatic. I mean he's a he's a really good I don't have you seen Skeleton Twins? No. Okay. That's with oh, that's with him and the girl from Bridesmaids, right? Yes, Kristen Wig. So that oh, movie yeah. is like about suicide and depression and it's like very dramatic and emotional and uh I mean it's definitely worth watching. It's a really cool movie but uh not like a an uplifting film and so that was kind of the pitch is like we want you to make something like skeleton twins like very dramatic and dark but mm-hmm. also like some funny comic relief in there yeah and, a little, uh, you, gotta, you gotta add a little comedy just to you know not get not get too dark yeah but it's it's really well done it's like one of the best executed shows in the last five years i think crazy yeah, some some stuff I've been I've been watching. Um, you know, you know I love me some cooking shows. Been watching some Next Level Chef. Yeah, okay. I still need which, to watch uh, that because I know you've been telling me to watch it. I'll watch yeah, it. Yeah, it actually just they just wrapped up the the season finale, so the whole uh, second season is on Hulu. Hulu. Uh, okay. it's just, yeah, it's just it's cool. I don't know. I like like me and me and my girlfriend were always watching like 
like uh, chef competition shows. Yeah. We're, we're even going back and watching old MasterChef, which I think there's a new MasterChef coming out. It's funny. You, you would not, not think that, you know, I would know all these things about how to cook certain types of like meats or food, <laughs> especially because I don't I don't cook meat or anything like that. Yeah, you're but like, well, yeah, we'll be watching and we'll just be like, nope, nope, that's undercooked. Nope, uh... nope. They should have cooked it skin side down. That's not how you cook fish. What are you... <laughs> you're throwing stuff at the TV. Yeah. Like you didn't even score it. Like how you spell it? How do you expect it to cook through? Come on, guy. <laughs> Big mistakes. Yeah, or um, uh, a movie that we just recently watched that was really good is a uh, Wrath of Man. Oh, okay, I haven't heard that. It's got your boy Jason Statham. Nah, that's not my boy. <laughs> He's like, "What are you doing? I'm gonna kill you." But um, yeah, it's really good movie. Like you know, that guy's pretty much like our modern day Bruce Willis, a little bit, a little bit more intimidating. Yeah. Uh, but it's really good. Super dark drama crime action the score is really good too has a, a little bit of a like the joker feel is it new or old i, I think it's like a year old okay uh, it's it was like 2021 or 2022 and it's a guy richie directed it yeah okay but i would suggest watching that it's on amazon prime i believe actually i think it might even be on something else too it might have just gotten added to some other streaming service. I'm sure you could find it. I'll definitely watch it because I really like Guy Ritchie. Have you watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? Is is that the one with Jason Statham too? Yeah, it's not Snatch. Snatch is like the sequel. Oh, oh, that's like an old, old one, right? So, uh, like a- yeah, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels came out in 1998. I think oh, okay. that uh, Snatch came out in like 2000. Yeah, actually, no, I don't think I saw that one. I, I I've heard it's like one of those movies I've heard of, but I just kind of never watched it. It's like like was it lucky number 11 or like those kind of movies i don't know it's like you always like hear the names but you never i haven't seen the movies. that well you should definitely watch lock stock and two smoking barrels i'm pretty positive that you would enjoy it yeah okay. uh it's got it's guy richie and jason statham jason statham just doing their finest work like it's just funny how like that guy's always just like cool calm collective even when like the world is just blowing up around him he's just like <sighs> <laughs> No big deal. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, it's also one of Brad Pitt's early movies, and he's absolutely ridiculously funny in it. Yeah, Brad Pitt. You might have heard of him. You might have heard of him. Yeah, he has a studio in France now, recording studio. So, oh yeah, which we've yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. yeah, I still need to book that. All right. Well, that concludes the Sound Iron podcast. Uh, if you're still here, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and rate and review. And do all those silly things that people ask you to do. Uh, we really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. So, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, smash it with, with whatever heavy object you have near you. <laughs> Give it a like. Tell your friends that we talked about Jason Statham <laughs> and Craig's horrible impression of it. It's, it's got to go more British, more like Cockney. Yeah, yeah, I'm still working on it. I got work to do. I'll, you gotta watch some more it. movies, and then you'll you'll nail it. That's true. I, I need some explosions going on behind me while I'm doing it. That'll really sell it. It's <laughs> the way you do it. All right, Mr. Craig, I'll catch you soon. Catch you on the flippity flip script. Peace. Adios. <laughs>